0: Thank you very much. That was, that was beautiful. Um, Linda said I look way too much comfortable in this uh, chair up here. So, next week I'm planning on going back up. My leg's getting better. So, I think we're going to rent, I can rent this to you all. Like, uh, <laughs> like some places have, like, if the donor of the week gets the parking spot. Well, uh, it's a whole new fundraising thing we you could, you could do. So, see me afterwards if you want to rent my chair. Or we could all just bring our own chair. That would be fun, yeah. So uh, we're entering into a period now in the Gospel of John, in chapter 5 through 12, where um, the stakes are getting higher, and there's a lot of antagonism. matter of fact, there's almost a pattern here in John's Gospel where Jesus will do a miraculous act of some kind, and he'll do some teaching, and then they have a fight. They have an argument. Okay, um, and so one of the things I've talked about before is that when I mean John is written by Jewish Christians, Jesus is Jewish, and sometimes the Jew term Jew is just descriptive in John's gospel. But he's Jesus, and the early church seem to have a particular conflict with with uh, the Judean, the Jerusalem establishment, both the Jerusalem. Jewish establishment, and I think you could argue that John maybe has a problem with the church establishment in Jerusalem as well, but that's another story. So I'm going to translate the word here, um, uh, Judeans, because the Hebrew, or the Greek word can be translated either Jew or Judeans, and I think the conflict is with the Judeans, all right? So that may be different than, it's different than what's in your bulletin, but it's a legitimate translation. So listen to the word of God. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep's Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, or Bethsaida is probably what you remember it, which has five porticos. And there lie many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now, your translation may or may not have this, but it it goes on to explain um, that... There was a legend that an angel came down once a year. So some manuscripts have it, some don't. Uh, Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now the day was a Sabbath. So the Judeans said to the man who had been cured, It is a Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, The man who made me well said to him, Take up your mat and walk. They asked him, Who is this man who said to you, Take it up and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well, do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Judeans that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Judeans started persecuting Jesus, because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. For this reason, the Judeans were seeking all the more to kill him, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. And Jesus said to them, Verily, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let's pray. Lord, open up our hearts and our minds that through you we may encounter the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I know that we all have been told there's no such thing as a stupid question. But any of you who have taught school or have given any kind of presentation know that that's not true. There are stupid questions. And there are some answers that are so self-evident that the question does not need to be voiced, right? Jesus is not only asking something here that's painfully obvious, But it might even come across as being cruel or insensitive. Or at least it was absurd to say it out loud. Pointing out the obvious. There's an old Monty Python skit where a man brings a parrot that he had just bought back to the pet store and the parrot is dead. He had bought a dead parrot. And they proceed to have an argument about, why did you sell me a dead parrot? And the pet owner keeps saying, well, he's only sleeping. Right, that's kind of, it's funny. Um, one of the things that I, I, I missed, when I, you know, all the years I've watched this skit, is that I rewatched it, and at one point John Cleese, who bought the parrot, says, well, you told me that it was tired when I bought it. Okay, so he actually bought the dead parrot. It was dead when he bought it, right? Yeah, the whole skit is funny because it's the absurdity of trying to convince something or someone of something so obviously wrong that everyone's failing to grasp the obvious. It's funny in a skit or a sight gag, right? You know, the, the picture of the guy coming in with an arrow through him and saying, "I have a headache," right? We've all seen those kind of funny skits, right? <laughs> But it's not so funny in reality. Like, (laughs) on the national level right now, we're all watching the car drive towards the cliff, right? (laughs) We're just all watching it happen. And we're thinking, okay, they're not really gonna drive this car off the cliff. But what about when we see it with our friends and people we love? You're drinking too much, you really are. If you don't change real quickly, you're gonna lose your job. You're being too hard on that kid. And you can't see it right now, but you're not gonna like what's gonna happen down the road. Now sometimes we say those things often we don't, right? But what about in our own personal level? What are the things and thoughts and attitudes that we hold to that keep us from being whole, that keep us from a deeper and more vital relationship with God? You know, chapter five, as I mentioned, brings this whole new dimension of what Jesus is doing uh, in his life, in the message, in the ministry, um, and there's all this dynamic of these verbs. The, the verbs that keep reoccurring, I really encourage you to look at this after yourself because there's this wanting and seeking and knowing, believing, loving, saving, abiding, rejoicing. There are all these active verbs that, are, that, are, that create this dynamic nature of what's going on. Some of it's conflict. But people's lives are being changed. Bad ideas are being challenged. People are being given an opportunity to live new lives. It's interesting, um, people used to be skeptical about the history or the historical, historical accuracy of John's Gospel, but archaeologically we found these five porticos. So there was a pool like this, and I think our only source for this pool that it was the Gospel of John. It's been discovered. And there's this legend, right? It's a legend. It's kind of, a, in some levels, it's a sad legend, right? That once a year, an angel comes down and kicks up the water and then whoever gets in first gets healed. Right? There's a, there's a kind of cruelty to it, isn't there? Right? But at any anyway, everyone's lined up around it. And... We find out that this guy had been sick for 38 years. It's hard to even imagine what that would be like, right? I mean, I, you know, I've limped along with arthritis here and I've got new hips and I'm going to, yeah, I I understand what it means to struggle, but and we all do, but 38 years of lying waiting. When Jesus saw him there and knew that he had been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? Now, it is such an obvious question, but the answer the man gives opens up the possibility this might be a little more complicated. Because he says, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. All right? So the question is, For 38 years, you've been waiting to be well, but you don't have anyone to help you, and and you get beat to the water every time. So, how is it that you don't have a, a plan that works? You keep doing the same thing over and over again, saying that you want to be well, but you don't have a plan or a way of making that happen. And maybe one of the reasons Jesus asked him, do you want to be well, is because he had become quite comfortable being the guy who can't get to the water. He may have not liked... The paralysis, but he had become comfortable with it, it had become his identity. We've all had conversations with people in trouble, a person struggling with an addiction or a mental illness, a person who's struggling financially making the same mistakes. Or they'll sometimes say, I don't have a problem. <laughs> I'm fine. You're the one who has a problem. Right? I don't want to change. There's no hope for me. That's a sad one. There's no hope for me. How dare you talk to me this way? I remember the first kid. Year, this has been, oh my goodness. I won't tell you how long ago this was. But The first kid I really dealt with had anorexia. And it was, she was a beautiful girl, a great kid. And she's standing in front of a mirror, like a pound away from having to be in the hospital. I mean, she was that sick. And I'm saying, Ken, what can we, I want to help you. And her mom's there. Can we, we, we want to help you? She goes, I look great. I'm happy the way I am. You see, we, we see these extreme situations, and I have all these sad stories in my head and memories. There's Some that have good in don't get me wrong. But part of it is I can do this on my own. It's either a denial of the problem or I can do this on my own. And Lent is allowing grace to revisit all the areas of our life. Remember Lent is, you know, last week Jesus, you know, the woman says, he told me everything I've ever done. Now, if I say that, I don't feel really good about that. <laughs> I remember the first time when I started doing, uh, years ago, when I started doing, in the words of assurance, and be merciful also to me, a sinner. Okay? Which I had heard from a spiritual director and was very liberating for me. And so I had this person come see me in my office, and they said, I have a question for you. I go, okay. You know, you know when you say at the end of the prayer... Lord, be merciful, all foe to me, a sinner. What, what, what did you do? <laughs> I said, that's, that's none of your business, <laughs> what you did. <laughs> I did. All right. That's way above your pay grade. That's, in, that's God. That's God's business, right? Um, but this idea of whatever our struggle is, to, to allow God to see it. Do you, want it? Do you want to get well? And, and the answering, yes. And it's not necessarily magic, but isn't yes the beginning of letting God have the grace to set us free? Jesus tells them to stand up. It's a command, by the way. <laughs> it's not, oh, come on. Oh, no, it's get up. It's a command. And he does the reading from the Hebrew scriptures uh, is from this section in Jeremiah that's called the confession. We the subtitle. We call it the confessions of Jeremiah and they're, they're remarkably brutally honest prayers. Jeremiah has one of the worst jobs in the Bible. He has like the third worst job description in the Bible. If you want to know who the worst two are, I'll tell you some other time. All right. Jeremiah has one of the worst job descriptions in the Bible. Okay. And everybody's trying to kill him, including his own family. So he's saying, you know, God, you called me, I, I, I had to tell me, I had to get it off my chest. Your words burned in my heart, but now I tell people and it's awful. And he, and he indicates to God at the end, you have, you're like a polluted stream. God, you have destroyed my life. So Jeremiah's complaining to God. What's, Jer- what's God's response to Jeremiah? And and to Jeremiah's credit, he wrote this down, okay? (laughs) God says this. If you turn back, I will take you back. And you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall serve as my mouth. And he goes on to say, I will protect you. You know, Jeremiah had a legitimate complaint But as big as the problems around him were and they were huge the bigger problem was Jeremiah's heart. Jeremiah's complaining about what all those people are doing to me. Jeremiah's complaining to God what you've set me up here and God's response is if you repent if you change then we can do something about this. What is broken that can be fixed, right? You know, there are things that are broken that are not fixable in this world. But our hearts, our souls. Everything that's eternal can be repaired. In other words, everything that matters the most, all the ultimate things... And be healed and repaired. There's so much human suffering that's not being eliminated because of politics. There's so much en- religious energy being wasted on misguided priorities. <laughs> Whether well, the guy, rather than being grateful, the the text, he gets he gets caught and they yell at him, Hey, you, you shouldn't be carrying your mat on the Sabbath. He goes, It's not my fault, somebody healed me. What, there's a minute here to say, no, I know, but it's great. I can walk. For 38 years, I've been sick. And the religious leaders go, that's awesome. That's great. The drinks are on me, man. Let's go. Let's celebrate. It was awesome. Now, instead, I, some guy healed me. I don't know who it was. I'm just doing what he told me. And they go, oh, my goodness, this guy's healed. We've got to get this guy. We need to stop this kind of shenanigans going on. Right, But we all do that, right? I mean, right? right? Look what's going on in our country. Look what goes on in our communities. Look what goes on in our heads, right? Jesus didn't challenge the law because he was out to be a, a, a radical. He just did not let anything get in the way of doing the will of God. Jesus did not let anything get in the way, whether it be a human rule, whether it be an angry crowd, a religious standard, or public opinion, to get in his way to do what God wanted and to help those in need. That's what we're being told here. He says, God is still working (laughs) and I'm doing his work. God loves me. He shows me what he is doing. You know, I, I think about the brave acts of people who did the right thing regardless of what it cost them. I, I'm sorry I didn't mention it, but last Saturday was uh, Nate Boone Saturday, and we celebrate um, the blessed memory of our brother and, and, and the courage that he showed, and Courage Harriet, you were part of that as well. And... We may be facing challenging times again that are going to require public acts of courage. But God wants to meet each of us wherever we are to set us free. There are things in each of our hearts and our minds and our lives that God can make well. So the question for us this Lent is do you want to be well? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand, and together we will proclaim what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed.